Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. I don't think I ever felt like I fit into the norm from when I was very young. And I don't know if that was just that I was born with a different perspective on things. I've always had friends who were 20 years older than me. I was always someone who would find the people who had a lot more wisdom than I did for my age to be the most compelling friends. And they were really the real friends, those who weren't fly by night, but those who knew what life was about 20 years more than I did and were kind of teaching me that. They always made me feel more comfortable. So I've probably been always old for my age in terms of what I found to be important and therefore what I would align with and didn't necessarily have a lot of friends growing up who, you know, in school, like those normal kind of girl gangs. I just never could understand being a part of one because they all seemed quite shallow to me and they weren't necessarily loyal friends. They were more based on whoever was trendy at that moment. I wasn't very interested in that. So that I'd say probably stepped out of line then just out of concern for my own soul and what made me happy and made me feel real and true to myself. And more recently, of course, I stepped out of line by starting Beauty Pie. And Beauty Pie is a business that disintermediates the beauty industry by telling women and men uh, and transgender people the truth about what it really costs to make their cosmetics and then bringing those products to them for a much more reasonable and fair price rather than following the same old process of marking a product up 15 times before you sell it to a customer. When I first thought of the idea, it was because it was something that I would want for myself. I was in between cosmetics brands and owning them. I had sold one and I no longer was getting free samples from all the labs and I had to actually go and buy product myself. And I remember being in an airport without a moisturizer, going into Hong Kong and Shenzhen and Dongguan, where it was November and very cold, and seeing the price of the moisturizer that I was going to buy on the shelf in the Hong Kong airport and thinking, forget it. I know how much this really costs to make. I'm not paying that. And then thinking, why should anybody be paying this? It's actually the whole industry, which I'd worked in for a very long time, I realized was not really very fair to its customers and also used a lot of intellectual and emotional levers to make people feel that they were worth it, for instance, if they spent a lot on themselves and that in order to be more beautiful, you had to be rich. And in order to get the good stuff, it had to be exclusive and difficult to find. And these aren't truths. And I realized, well, I've been participating in this for a long time because the only way before launching Beauty Pie and before the internet, really, that you could do this was to, to sell your, your product ideas through retailers. So it was just an old, antiquated, mainstream beauty system where the markups were built in for every player. And that made the products incredibly expensive for what they actually were. 
And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this and realized that I could form a club online and people could pay to help run the club, pay a much smaller markup. So, you know, our products come out of a factory and maybe are two or three times as expensive as as they um, cost to make, not 15 or 20, and really tell the truth about what's in a product and bring people really the best. But when I launched or before I launched, first I thought these labs who are the third party manufacturers for myself and all the other beauty brands, they're gonna, they're gonna flip out when right. I find out what I'm about to do. And then second, it was, um, I thought, oh, well, everyone's gonna hate me. I thought the entire industry is going to absolutely hate me if I do this because I'm ripping the cover off. You know, everybody's sort of fake, uh, you know, beauty industry marketing. And then I thought, okay, wait a second. Sure, 5,000 people in the beauty industry, my competitors, they're going to hate me. But millions of women and men and people who love cosmetics are going to love me. <laughs> and it was that, it was the trade-off between, well, do I worry about old colleagues or people in the industry who are still doing it the old way, what they think? Or actually, should we be campaigning for getting this right for millions of people so that prices in the industry are fair and people are getting much more for what they pay for? How do you know you have a really good idea? Because it seems like such a terrible idea. And then you look at it and you say, it's got to be good because it's just, it causes a lot of angst or it can cause a lot of upheaval. And yes. that's, you know, this is brilliant. I had that actually once with a shoe, believe it or not. I have a footwear business as well. Right. Fitmod. And um, there was one shoe in our collection. This was probably 12 years ago or so. It's called the Shove. And it was just um, a very simple one piece of leather molded around the midsole and just, just sort of a simple little clog. We put some boots and that product on the table and we asked about 20 women in the office to come through and tell us out of these six boots, because we were trying to narrow down the range. This was kind of at the beginning of the club. Couldn't afford to make them all. And so we had, you know, boot A, boot B, boot C, boot D, and then the shove, which was this little clog. And the question we asked them was, if you could only buy one of these, right? Which one would it be? And Every single woman walked into that room, walked through and said, pointed at the shove and said, not that one. But they didn't say which one they would buy. They all couldn't help but look at the one that was sort of the scary one. And it's the one that got all of their attention. They didn't mention the other four, but they went out of their way to say, not that one. And that one has become one of our best selling shoes. So you just see it, I guess, ahead if you drop your fear and you just see like well that's cool and that is very often the one but people in behavioral economics the five great human motivators is the need to belong so people want to be part of a tribe they want to be part of a group there's that fear of being ostracized so they won't necessarily try something different or they won't wear a shoe that looks a little bit weird until they see a celebrity wearing it i'm not wired i guess that way i'm like ah, i know i know that's cool you know, I don't care if a celebrity is wearing it or not. It's like really great. I was probably born that way where I just don't really care what anybody else thinks. Or I was, my mom taught me to not care what anybody else thinks and just go for it. Um, but you're right. It's the idea that scares you is probably the one that is interesting enough for people to pay attention to. What is it in you 
that gives you this burning desire not to just go with the flow and never to give up. Well, I think if I see an idea that I think I would like and it's something that will improve somebody's life, right? And be better for that customer because we all end up kind of buying things, right? We're all sort of in that exchange situation. Then I think, well, why not me, right? Like, why shouldn't I do it? Second, I've never been so thrilled about working for other people because I find that their goals aren't high enough. So I've had jobs when I was a teenager and worked for other people and just thought, you know, it was really depressing because you would go and work somewhere and think, well, come on, this isn't good enough. We should be doing this better. We should be doing that better. This should be cleaner. That should be more fun. I just found that I prefer to set my own goals so that I feel like I'm accomplishing something at the level that I'm capable of than to follow someone else. So it's not necessarily so easy. I guess I found my way into entrepreneurship and then I just repeated it because it was easier than going and sacrificing by bending to somebody else's perceived level of excellence. One of my best friends, who is quite a lot older than I am once, um, she and I were having a conversation. I remember we were in a car and she said, uh, she was a lawyer for a large music industry group. And she said, you're so brave. You just go and come up with these ideas and start these companies and you know build them. And I don't know how you do it over and over again. You're so brave. And I said, I think you're brave because you go to work you know, every day and take instructions from somebody who you don't necessarily agree with, but you do it anyway. And for me, that's like a lot harder than doing what I do. But compromising every day, that is hard. And not compromising and then being able to fail. And if you fail, oh, well, you get up, you go do it again. That's not actually that hard. You know, people say, when did you get this really good idea? And it's, oh, I was like walking down the street or I was, I was in the shower or, uh, you know, you were not trying to have the idea. They do say now that you want to be curious and absorb as much information as possible and always be searching and learning. And that's so important. But taking a minute once in a while to just kind of zone when you're just doing something differently, whether you're just in a different environment, moving in a different way, somewhere new, that is when the neurons in your brain will connect in a new way and you will solve problems. They say like, you rarely solve a problem sitting at your desk. Steve Jobs always did his meetings walking, right? So he would have people say, oh, show up at my house, we'll go for a walk. And they would go for a walk and they would talk about things and then they would solve their problems by talking through them while walking, you know, or just away from the desk because the desk is just full of the information, but you kind of have to step back from it to see the patterns a little bit. And I find that quite a lot too, that I might just be sitting in the airport or listening to a podcast, of course, that's sort of more like working because when you're listening to a podcast, it's usually for information. What would you say your three biggest character strengths are? I have a lot of common sense. When I had the spa in New York, which was, you know, 1999, really long time ago, we had, of course, you would put bed sheets over top of massage tables and then the client would lie down on top of the bed sheet. And we... We ordered some sheets because you had to order quite a lot because, you know, it's like a new, three new sheets for every customer. And so you're going through a tremendous number of sheets and laundry and all that kind of stuff. And someone had ordered the sheets and they were too long for the table. So they flip over the table and then they go onto the ground and massage therapists were tripping. Jerry, massage therapist, was complaining they're too long, da, 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 da. And I went into his room, I opened the door, I took the two ends of the sheet, I tied them together in a knot. And they fit over the table perfectly and they weren't on the floor. And he looked at me and he said, that's why you're the boss. And I said, yes, it is.
And it is that easy sometimes that you just find the solution. It's probably right in front of your face. Right. Don't complain about it. Just look for the way to fix it without making it a big hullabaloo. Number two, I think I'm quite optimistic. So I never stay pessimistic for more than, you know, five minutes. If I am feeling like something's really hard or impossible or whatever, if I go to sleep and wake up the next morning, I'm optimistic again. So entrepreneurs often have a reality distortion field where they don't really think about what's not possible or the, the you know, problems in front of them. They only see what's possible. <laughs> That's kind of me. Like I forget if I get into my thing, I'm like, okay. I'm going to do this and I don't want to hear about like what's not possible or why it might be difficult. I don't care because the people that I'm talking to, they want this and they like it. And so I'm just going to kind of focus on that. So I guess extreme optimism would be one. And then probably a third would be curiosity. Apparently it's, uh, I was talking to a headhunter probably last year or so. And they said that what they look for in CEOs, number one was curiosity because I will often find the answer to a problem or a question or a need or a business need because I am surfing the internet, right? Might be nine o'clock at night. I'm flipping through Pocket or the New York Times or whatever. I'll read an article and then I'll see something and I'll go, let me just click on that. And then I'll go through further and then it'll be about something else. And then I'll go through further and further. And you get down these rabbit holes all the time, but always I will find something that is useful that I'll remember when the time comes, it'll be, wait, I read something about that. It was about, you know, X, Y, or Z. Wait, let me Google it because I remember this word with this word and that. And then I'll find the article and then it will help us solve a problem in our business. And so just constantly being curious about how the dots connect together and also trying to just put new dots up on the board. I always say to people who are trying to be entrepreneurs, like your life, your opportunities are like a, a starry sky, right? If you only have three stars, you have three ways to connect those stars, or maybe, you know, three times three or three times two, like six ways to connect those three stars, because those are your three pieces of information. They say Warren Buffett reads all the time, right? And he'll read for four or five hours a day. You know why? While he's reading, he's putting more stars up in the sky. And the more stars you have up there, the more ways to connect an idea, or the more ways you can get to where you're trying to go, or the more new ideas that you might have, because you're thinking about it with all of this context. And so spending a lot of time reading, researching, listening, meeting people, finding out, you know, what really is going on out there just outside of your very specific field. I would say you have to be an expert in your field and then you have to read like all of this. And then all of this is where you get to be a good entrepreneur, a good CEO, because you have that breadth that is required to solve problems in an efficient way that are contextualized by you know, the society and how it is today. What do you do when you do get a no? Do you still get no's? I'm so busy at this point creating my own things that it's rare to get a no, but yeah, I guess once in a while we'll get a no. Somebody said no, what was it about what I'm doing that I didn't explain properly to you to get the yes? And think, well, how could I actually pitch this to that person to be a better pitch so that I might get a yes? You sometimes take a hike with a lot of weight on your back, because then you're not thinking about anything but just completing your task. Just to meditate a bit and not have the mind going, have to do something that's so hard. It's the only thing I can think about is getting up the hill, right? Because it's so hard. 
And so you end up being just completely exhausted. And it's almost like flushing out of the, the anxious stress about, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to solve. And you come back and you're so calm because you're so tired that then only the important thoughts kind of come back in. Myers-Briggs typography index tells you if you're an introvert or an extrovert, if you're a gut instinct person or you need data, if you're a thinker or a feeler, if you're judgmental or if you're a perceiver. So for what I am, it says when you're stressed or if you have too much, you know, too much going on or your mind isn't really operating where you feel like it's good, you have to exhaust yourself with really, really hard exercise. Now, what's funny is from the time I was, gosh, I used to do gymnastics and in my backyard and I would do flips for six hours when I was a kid or I would do long distance running or I did bodybuilding or whatever. I had to just exhaust my body to kind of operate optimally. And also it said, call friends. So if I'm not feeling like, you know, the best or positive, or I mean, what they call the grip, right? When you're not operating at your optimal capacity, it said you need to make those connections with humans because that emotional connection recenters you. And I find that to be very true as well. Every struggle you have makes you tougher, smarter. You have the ability to bounce back so much. It's a muscle. I always say like, Having to struggle is a muscle. Having to battle against something is a muscle. You end up becoming very, very strong when you have to fight for everything that you've got. And if things are too easy, you forget how to do that. I worry about that all the time. Even when I'm on vacation, it's like, I don't want to get too used to this comfortable vacation kind of stuff because you're, you don't want to get soft because... Right. You have to keep exercising those muscles or they will forget how to work. And you do not want to be scared of reality. You don't want to be scared of change. You want to be able to say, this is a problem. I'm going to jump right in there and figure it out. And it is like exercise all the time. And the more you do it and the more experience you have, the more you take your time to analyze and react instead of letting your emotions take over. The longer that you've had problem after problem after problem, the smarter and better that you are at approaching them, you'll be much more strategic. You'll use much less energy. People say, oh my God, what did you do? It's like, well, I ate bagels for, because <laughs> they were 25 cents each. So I had bagels, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for about three years, because that's all I had for money. And I had worked, you know, doing this and that and the other thing until I saved enough money to do this and that. And you figure it out. And having to figure out is a muscle.